Welcome to Crossing the Jordan. Today we're going to be talking about the Catholic priesthood found in the Bible. We're going to see clearly that Jesus founded a priesthood, a ministerial priesthood to serve his church and we're going to and this is one of seven sacraments, the sacrament of holy orders. So I pray that this episode you will find fruitful and that you just dive deeper in love with the priesthood that Jesus established in his one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So first, let's establish on what a priest does. So the essence of a priest is to offer sacrifice. So it is someone offering sacrifice to God. And that is really the just the fundamental essence of what a priest does. And as baptized Christians, everybody is baptized into Jesus. And Jesus is priest, prophet, and king. And he's much more than those. But when we are baptized, we are baptized into Jesus. So we are baptized priest, prophet, and king. So everybody is supposed to offer sacrifice, offer sacrifice of their lives, praise, everything that they have given back, give it back to God to sacrifice it back to God, right? So everybody essentially is supposed to be a priest, right? We're a kingdom of priests. So um, in the Old Testament, there was a high priest, a ministerial priesthood, and then there was a kingdom of kingdom of priests, right? So you kind of see like these three different sects of priesthood. So you had your kingdom of priests. So those were all the people within the kingdom. And then you had your ministerial priests. So people that would actually take these offerings of sacrifice and sacrifice on people's behalf. And then there would be the one high priest um, that would serve uh, in the temple. And they had a special role in the kingdom and they would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. So uh, we're going to get uh, dive deeper into all those, but we see that um, that we're a kingdom of priests. So back in Exodus 19, 5, those were the kingdom of priests. And we see in the New Testament that there's a kingdom of priests, right? So 1 Peter 2, 9 and Revelation 1, 6, um, we are baptized in priests. So every baptized Christian is a priest in this sense, right? So it fulfills the Old Testament kingdom of priests. And then on the other high end of it is the high priest. So the Old Testament would have a high priest. And obviously Jesus is that high priest, right? So we see that clearly in the book of Hebrews talking about Jesus, our great high priest, right? So there's only one and Jesus is that high priest. So you kind of see that two, the two fulfillments right there, right? So Jesus fulfills the high priesthood and us as all baptized Christians into Jesus's church, we are all a kingdom of priests. So it is fitting that there is a fulfillment in the ministerial priesthood, right? But we're not going to just stop there and say, there it is. It must be fulfilled if it's there because it's clearly drawn out in scripture that there is a kingdom of high priest and there were a kingdom of priests explicitly in scripture, right? You can find like explicit uh, verses for it. But also I think we're going to see it is very, very, very much so there that Jesus established a ministerial priesthood to uh, to a perfected priesthood, right? So in the book of Hebrews, it always talks about a better covenant, a better priesthood, a better law that follows, right? So it didn't, Jesus didn't, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And that's the same thing with the prophets and everything. Jesus fulfilled it all. He perfected it. So now this priesthood is perfected because it's, uh, it is a ministerial priesthood into that perfect eternal high priest that offered himself once and for all, which is Jesus Christ, the high priest and the victim, the one eternal uh, son of God that offered himself to the father on our behalf. So I'm going to break this episode really up into four different uh, categories. So there were four responsibilities of the Old Testament priests. They were to offer sacrifice is one, 
And then two would be uh, uh, mediating the forgiveness of sins. And then the third is interpreting the law. And then the fourth is serving in the temple. So we're going to break it down. And each of these, you're going to see that they kind of hit on a lot of different other sacraments, right? Because the New Testament or the New Covenant priest, which are found in the Catholic Church, they minister that uh, the the sacrifice of the Mass, the, um, the Eucharist, and then they minister... Um, the forgiveness of sins, right? So you find that in confession and the anointing of the sick. And they also minister the um, the sacrament of uh, matrimony, right? So, And they also minister the sacrament of confirmation and then also baptism, but they're not the only strict ones that uh, baptize people. But so mainly we're going to, we're going to see a lot of sacraments drawn out in this, but those are going to be saved for later podcasts. This is strictly just speaking on the uh, that Jesus founded a institutional priesthood. And we're going to see that he did this throughout his ministry, his three years of ministry, but also most profoundly on that Holy Thursday when Jesus in the Last Supper instituted the Holy Eucharist and instituted the priesthood. Um, there are a lot of things going on that Holy Thursday, and this is one of them. So the first one, offering sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, there was a remembrance or memorial offerings in the Old Testament ritual for worship. And we see that in Leviticus 2.2, Leviticus uh, 2.9, verse 16, and chapter 5, verse 12, and chapter 6 and 14, and Numbers 5.26. So there is this remembrance or memorial offering in the Old Testament. And there were many other uh, forms of sacrifice, right? So or other offerings, right? So you had sin offerings or thanksgivings or um uh, things of that nature. And we're going to see that that was fulfilled in G- in Jesus when he fulfilled it um, at the Last Supper when he instituted the Eucharist, the eternal covenant in his blood. And so the Old Testament includes a thanksgiving, which is in Hebrew is toda, which is a toda sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 7, 11 through 15. So this is mentioned frequently in the Psalms as well. So you'll see that in Psalm 50, in uh, Psalm 56, Psalm 100, Psalm 107, and Psalm 116. So, and the ancient rabbis said that when the Messiah came, only the, this thanksgiving or Toda sacrifice would still be performed, since there would be no longer need of atonement, but only of thanksgiving for the salvation brought by the Messiah. Thanksgiving in Greek is Eucharistia. The Eucharist is the new thanksgiving or Toda sacrifice, which Jesus commanded his priests, apostles, to perform until he returned. So, uh, remember when he said, do this in memory of me he was offering a Toda sacrifice that was fulfilled. And that was a, a Jewish, uh, a rabbi um, tradition that said this was going to be the fulfillment of the Messiah. When he came, there would only be a thanksgiving, right? Um, because there would be no more need for atonement. Um, so, and that's where we get the Greek word Eucharistia, which means thanksgiving. So every time you go to the mass, you receive the Eucharist. It's a thanksgiving feast. And so the phrase, do this in memory of me, of me, and that it's when he says offer this, he really means offer this in memory of me, which the Greek word there is poeo in the sense of offering this in sacrifice. So in the Greek uh, Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, so the much of the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and then it's translated uh, from, in the Jewish people by the Septuagint, and that's what Jesus and his apostles and the first century Jews would have used. 
Um, and so, and you see that even being used in the New Testament because the quotes that were used, they didn't pull it from Hebrew, they pulled it from the, the Greek Septuagint. So, which is used in the Septuagint and the offer of sacrifice. So, remembrance, Greek, which means anamnesis, which in Septuagint is used in reference to a memorial offering, a sacrifice to God for God to take action. So, Jesus commands the apostles to offer the Last Supper as a sacrifice and pointing to them as a ministerial priesthood because ministerial priests offer sacrifice, right? So you even see that um, in Romans 15, 15 through 16, where St. Paul talks about him being a priestly service of the gospel and serving the gospel of God as a priest. And so this Greek word, it's poeo, to do or to make or perform. And it is used frequently in the Old Testament in priestly context with the sense of performs a sacrifice. And you're going to see that almost, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in Leviticus. And then you're going to see it twice more in the book of Numbers, right? So, and then also to, to add on to uh, offering of this Thanksgiving, this tota sacrificing and the these fulfillments bringing Jesus Jesus at the Last Supper, he offered himself, this is my body, under the form of bread and wine. And and we see that in the book of Hebrews, he is the fulfillment of, he is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, Melchizedek was the high priest of the Old Testament, one of the very first priests that you see, and he blessed Abraham. And what did Melchizedek offer? Bread and wine. And he was the king of Salem, which meant peace, which uh, um turns into Jerusalem, right? So Jesus in Jerusalem offers himself, the perfect lamb of God that fulfills Abraham. We're gonna we're getting into the Eucharist a little bit right now, but all of these words, do this, which is like offer this and in remembrance of me, which was anamnesis, right? So he's telling his apostles to keep doing this, offer this sacrifice, right? So it's Jesus instituting the priesthood there in the sense of offering sacrifice. And we're going to see, and we see all the way through the New Testament that there's ministers of miracles, right? So especially like in the feeding of the 5,000. So this is the feeding of the 5,000. What happens every single time? Jesus reclines, takes bread, breaks it, gives thanks, gives it to his disciples, and then they distribute it to everybody and they have their fill, right? They come and they're satisfied. And this is the one miracle that appears in every and all four gospels the only one other than jesus's resurrection right so this is pretty dang important and we're going to talk about this later when we talk about the eucharist as well but so but notice that jesus he performs this miracle but he has his disciples be the ministers of it right you feed them you feed these people that come right so he gives them to his disciples to distribute so he's showing that he is going to use his disciples his apostles and their successors in order to distribute the ultimate miracle of distributing his very self his body blood soul and divinity under the form of bread and wine and the eucharist which he instituted on holy thursday right and one more thing other uh about offering sacrifice and um i thought this was very interesting and the, in Matthew 12, 1 through 6, it is the story of Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath. So on a Saturday, on a day of rest, they're um, picking grain, right? So the Pharisees saw it and they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. 
And then Jesus goes back and uh, talks about how David, when he was hungry, and he, so this is uh, back to the Old Testament King David, when he was hungry, those were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So when he references back to that story, there's two things happening here. So there's two priestly examples. In this incident that he's referring back to in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1-6, through it's an incident in which David and his men exercised the priestly privilege of consuming the bread of the presence or the bread of uh, face. And that they believe to contain like the presence of God in the, in the tabernacle and temple. And two, the example of the Levitical priest serving in the temple, right? And, uh, and if you look at through this through the Jewish through the lens of Jewish eyes, so the, Amer- the there's a famous American rabbi. His name is uh, Jacob Neusner, and he draws the obvi- he calls it an obvious implication from this passage when read through Jewish eyes. He says Jesus and his disciples may do on the Sabbath what they do because they stand in the place of the priest in the temple, and that's what Jesus is referring back to, right? So just another place where um, instead of and not only just on uh, uh, on uh, we see on that Holy Thursday when he's instituting the Eucharist, where he's telling his apostles to offer sacrifice on his behalf. To he's going to also just be like those priests that he refers back to, which David and uh, his men exercised that priestly privilege of consuming the bread. So we see there that's offering sacrifice. The next piece is forgiveness of sins. So in the Old Testament, priests were they would administer or be ministers of forgiving sins, right? They'd mediate between the people and God, right? So um, they would offer sacrifice, so sin offerings on behalf of the people for their atonement, right? So, um, and you see that so many times in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Numbers uh, that, that the priest would mediate forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus is that one eternal sacrifice in himself that takes away all sins of the world, right? But it also has to be applied to us because Jesus wants us all to participate in repenting, believing in the gospel, and being baptized into his church, right? But, and you're going to see in the early church when we get into talking about more of confession, you're going to see in the early church, right from the very beginning, people were, uh, they would go and um, confess their sins to a priest. And they, a lot of times it took a different form. So at the very early church, a lot of times it'd be public confession. And then the priest would tell him or her to do penance. And then after their penance, the priest would absolve them, right? So the person of the priest and the ministerial priesthood of Jesus and the new covenant is perfected by Jesus, right? So when you confess your sins, you hear the words of the priest that you are forgiven. You truly are forgiven, right? So if somebody that's not Catholic they can always go straight to God, right? But then you don't, you're battling with yourself because Jesus gave us a way to hear that we truly are forgiven. And every single time you go to the sacrament of confession, you truly are forgiven. When you come with a contrite heart, you forgive your sins and you repent and you hear those words of absolution, right? But 
Um, but so you can still be forgiven outside of it, but you just don't know, right? Because you're trying to be perfectly um, contrite and to turn away from the sin. But so this is the natural means that Jesus gave us. And you see this happening in John 20, 23 in the most perfect way, right? So Jesus, after he ascend, uh, his death, his resurrection, and uh, he um, appears to his apostles in John 20, verse 23 let me flip there really quick and just read it so he says right when he enters the room he says peace be with you as the father has sent me even so i send you what did jesus get sent to do forgive sins and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the holy spirit if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven if you retain the sins of any they are retained and you see this the retaining of sins nine times in Leviticus, right? So, and this is where the sacrament of holy orders uh, are instituted uh, again about forgiveness of sins, right? But Jesus also refers to this when he institutes the the papacy in Matthew 16, 18, when he gives uh, Peter the keys of the kingdom and gives him authority to bind and to loose. Those are priestly terms, right? And, And he gives it to all of his apostles in Matthew 18, right? So, uh, all the it's basically the bishops in union with the Pope have the power to bind and to loose. And it's interesting in Matthew 18, so he gives all the apostles uh, now that same authority that he just gave Peter to bind and to, the bind, to bind and to loose. And the very next question that Peter asks is, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? So now he's directly concerned about forgiving people. How do I do this? How many times do I forgive people? And he talks about that, right? So Jesus um, institutes, again, this priestly service. He perfects it in him, this forgiveness of sins, to minister forgiveness of sins. And so to go to a priest for your sins to be absolved is the exact way that Jesus established it, right? So because back in John 20, 23 that we just read when Jesus said, uh, when he breathed on them the Holy Spirit and said, whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins are retained are retained, well, in order for them to know which sins to forgive and to retain, they need to hear those sins, right? So that's exactly what's happening in the sacrament of confession, which has had like six or seven different terms over 2,000 years and is always there from the beginning. And this is not a new idea either. It was always there in the Old Testament and it's fulfilled and perfected in Jesus Christ and his ministerial precept in the new covenant.